The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Collective Whisper Podcast. I am your host, Simon Kay. It's a pleasure to have you guys back on board. If you're enjoying the podcast and we hope that you come along for all the great guests we have to come for the rest of the season. And tonight we have an extra special guest all the way from the TV reality world of Gold Rush. So we'll get to that person in a moment. But before we do, just a quick reminder, please subscribe to the show. Please share. Please tell your friends. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Okay, on to this week's guest. So as some of you may know, and some of you may not, I'm a huge Gold Rush fan. I've been watching the show for years now. And a couple of years ago, in the first season, we had Todd Hoffman from the show. He told us all about his adventures in gold mining, trials and tribulations of a gold miner. And I'm delighted to have an extra special guest from the current show of Gold Rush, and someone who's been on the show for a few seasons. And I'm talking about none other than... Ruby Mahoney. Ruby Mahoney is an accomplished excavator driver known for her remarkable contributions on the TV show Gold Rush. Join us as we dive into Ruby's fascinating journey in the gold mining industry, her experiences working with Tony Beat's crew in Alaska, and her unwavering dedication to her craft. Ruby shares her insights on the thrilling world of gold mining and the challenges she overcomes on a daily basis. Hello, Ruby Mahoney. Welcome to the Collective Whisper podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. (laughs) Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. I'm always telling people, you know, I'm a big Gold Rush fan and I've been watching it for years. I've watched all the seasons over the last few years. And my wife actually is a big Gold Rush fan. We've watched like all of the the episodes with Tony and with Parker and Monica and yourself and everybody. And I've watched all the Gold Rush Whitewater and every Gold Rush episode comes out. I kind to watch it in some way or another so I had Todd Hoffman on the show in the first season and that was a pleasure to have Todd on the show and you know it's great (laughs) to have you on because you're a regular on our screens now you appear quite a lot don't you yeah yeah no I've uh I mean this year is my seventh season with with Gold Rush and with with Tony and yeah I've been uh getting more and more popular i guess which is nice (laughs) um sometimes it's a balance to balance the two but yeah no it's been great yeah and i think it's good because you know monica obviously was a big presence there with tony and monica is a a real powerhouse you know she's a very strong woman and she you know she she's not afraid to say her piece and in amongst that world of the boys and the men you have to be strong i imagine so i think it was nice then when you came along as well And you've kind of crept into our vision a lot. And we see, you know, Monica's friend. And now you've become a regular. And great to see you leaving your mark and pushing the boys around a bit too, you know? (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I try. Yeah, Monica is definitely, yeah, such an incredible woman. I'm very, very lucky to have her as my best friend and lucky to have entered this industry with her, you know, kind of guiding me and teaching me and, and being there. Um, it's, you know, she's a great inspiration. She's a great inspiration to me and all of, I think all of the other women in this industry, because it is, it is a little bit difficult being a a woman in a man's industry and you have to, you definitely have to throw around a little bit and, and be quick and, you know, uh, we have a a point to prove a little bit more, I think. Uh, so it's, it's great to have her 
around. I, I love being able to work with her. Yeah. And I mean, when you think of, of the female presence on the show, you know, whether it be Minnie in the office, even with Parker's crew, you know, Tatiana and Tyler Mahoney as well from Australia. I mean, there's a quite a lot of females on the show and quite a lot of yeah. women, I should say. And um, they really do make their mark and they're very good operators, you know, and they work really hard, don't they? Yeah, I would say so. I think it's great. Um, you know, there is, I mean, I think out at our camp right now, it, I think there's four girls really like that, that are really, really there amongst like 20 guys, but it's, you know, four of them are all big hitters. They're all, you know, excavator operators they're all people in charge you know they're all people that have been there for years on end uh who know a thing or two about you know what how tony likes to run it and i'm sure it's the same for parker i know tatiana's been there for a long time i know tyler's been gold mining not necessarily in the yukon but in australia her whole life so it's awesome and and you know i think women operators are we're a little bit more attentive to detail we're a little bit gentler we're a little bit cleaner and uh, again, like being a woman in the man industry, I think we we uh, strive for perfection a little bit more because we do want to prove ourselves. So it's yeah, it's I'm very proud of those girls. And I think, you know, when the show started, you know, Tony was seen as this kind of hard man, hard aged. And, you know, even the other miners <laughs> kind of you could see they were intimidated by him. You know, he he doesn't uh, take any prisoners. So I can imagine for anybody going <laughs> to work for him, you know, there's no bullshit. And he says it as it is. And if you can't do the job, you know, you know, it, it, get out of the kitchen, you know, if you can't stand the heat. But I noticed, though, with the women on the show, he has a different kind of approach, doesn't he? Because he, he doesn't deal with them the same way he deals with the guys. But I mean, <laughs> he's he's a little gentler, but he still gets his message across. But it's a different style. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you know, um, I have a very different relationship with Tony than a lot of people do anyway. It's like I've known Tony since I was a little girl. Um, you know, I used to play on that mine with Monica when I was a kid. So I've known Tony my whole life. Uh not to say not to say that I don't get in shit with Tony still sometimes, but <laughs> everybody does. <laughs> um, no, I think, you know, Tony still has high expectations. You know, when Tony, Tony's very firm when he says he doesn't give a fuck what's between your legs. If you can do the job, you can do the job. Um, but of course, he's a little bit more, I, I would say, I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, sometimes, sometimes we can be in the firing, firing line just as well as boys can. Um, and, you know, sometimes we do have a little bit more expectation put on us especially with the equipment because he does kind of he always says that the, the, he really does actually prefer women operators because we are more gentle with equipment and we are pretty attentive to detail um so, so in in some ways we do have a little bit more uh pressure on us and in, in other senses we don't but uh yeah i think the women that are have been in this industry and have been with tony like all of us have been with him for a long time so of course you you get that uh relationship with him and and we're all adorable so of course he's gonna like us more <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you can see that in in certain crews you know they are kind of like a family but like in any yeah. family, if it's not running well, the family can have a lot of drama. But you can see there, <laughs> Tony has kind of a well-oiled machine, excuse the pun, but he 
he seems to have like good operators there now. There's good kind of a relationship and and um, what's the word? Like there's a good feeling and then that good atmosphere between the crew and everyone kind of knows what they have to do. They know, you know, there's moments of pressure. So I think over the seasons, what I've noticed is it's developed into a really good crew and now it runs really well, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, gold mining is organized chaos really like it's you know there's parts of gold mining that are very boring honestly like you know when everything's running smoothly it is quite boring you're just kind of moving dirt around (laughs) um but it's constantly changing it's constantly changing we're constantly going after different cuts is the master of changing his mind three million times he's got a million projects on the go all of the time so you know this year and over the past few years we've had people that have been there before come back and I think that's really helpful because it doesn't matter which mine you are on every mine boss is different they want things done a different way they operate things a different way and if there's enough veterans that come back over the years um you know he can focus on different things where the rest of us can kind of already know what he expects and already knows what he wants you're always going to have new people come in um, but again, if you have enough people that have been there previously, it's kind of nice to have those people around to really show, you know, what he wants. Cause sometimes he can be really bad about instructions <laughs> and other times you just can't understand him. <laughs> so he's like, you know, bring that. He has his own unique sayings, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. And he's like, you know, bring that loader to the bridge. And you're like, okay, what bridge? We have like five of them. but in his mind he's already told you (laughs) yeah so i think veterans and you know it is a family you're you're stuck with each other for seven months out of the year you work long days 12 hour days you know you're usually in the middle of the bush you're kind of stuck with each other so morale is important and it's you you always try to really i don't know make the best of it you can because it it definitely makes the work day easier if you get along and and you can rely on one another and of course i just thought i forgot one important woman as well is kevin's fiance or or his wife i think is it like girlfriend uh her name is faith see her at the weigh-ins and stuff but you don't see her much through the show sometimes in the office you get to know people's names as they appear yeah. more on the show and you know but then there's others that only pop in and out sometimes yeah that that's really good but let's go back a little bit because you know the thing is for people like yourself who are just doing a, like an, an honest day work but an honest day's work rather but you're on television and then you're getting all this attention and people want to know things about you. And I'm sure you've seen things written about you and you're like, that's not true or whatever. So in this kind of show, what I'd like I like to do is go back a little bit and find out about, you know, the, the Ruby's childhood. And you mentioned they're growing up with Monica and everything. So, you know, you are in, in you were you you grew up in Dawson City, no? Yes, partly. Yeah, I grew up in Dawson. I'm from Dawson. Um, my mom was a super hippie, so I kind of grew up all over the place. Uh, I lived in Mexico for a long time. Um, I lived in BC for a little while. Uh, my parents are separated, so I lived with my dad in Alberta for a while. Um, so yeah, I've kind of gotten to grow up all over the place. Uh, which made for a very interesting childhood. <laughs> but um, yeah, I am from Dawson, though. I, uh, Part of Mexico did you live in? 
I grew up in a little town called Barra de Navidad, which is on the West Coast, about six hours south of Puerto Vallarta. So, so yeah. And hablas mm -hmm. un poquito de español, ¿no? You speak Spanish? Uh, yeah, poquito. <laughs> hablas español. Um, we stopped going when I was in grade six because my brother was 10 years older than me. Um, yeah, so we stopped going when I was in grade six because my brother, again, was 10 years older than me and trying to get a teenager to do schoolwork because my mom, of course, taught us correspondence. Uh, yeah, trying to, trying to get a teenager to sit down to do schoolwork when there's a beach right there was impossible. So when I kind of got to that age, mom was like, I'm not going through that again. <laughs> of course, of course. And like when we talk about Mexico as well, I know you always hear in the shows toward the end of the season, Tony and Minnie kind of head there on holidays, don't they, a lot? Yeah, they, they own a condo there. So they actually own a condo like 30 minutes from the town that I always go to now, which is different from the town. that. I, so I, I see them quite a bit throughout the winter as well, If because um, I just have to hop on a bus and then I can go. <laughs> you're like, oh my. yeah, you're like, look who's here. <laughs> yeah, ha -ha, I'm back. <laughs> yes. So did you, as you were growing up and a teenager, what kind of teenager were you? Like, were you rebellious? Were you, were you very nice girl? How were you? <laughs> I was a shithead. <laughs> No, I was definitely <laughs> okay. I was definitely a rebellious teenager. So yeah, me and Monica were were really good friends when we were when we were young kids and I would say, yeah, I don't know, anywhere between eight and thirteen I would say. We we hung out a lot. Um and then we became teenagers and we were still really good friends, but Monica worked all the time. Monica was you know, she was out of the mine all of the time. And when I turned into a teenager, I was, you know, chasing boys and causing trouble. So. Were you both tomboys, like because of Monica working in that industry? Were you kind of influenced by her as well? And I suppose it's hard to be a very girly girl when you're around that kind of thing all the time, isn't it? I think it's hard to be a girly girl in the town of Dawson City. <laughs> it's it's okay. mud, mud roads and, you know, we don't. We don't have stores or malls or anything like that here. So I think I think every girl that grows up here is a tomboy. Um, yeah, you you play in mud and and sit around campfires drinking beer. That's kind of <laughs> it's really hard to walk in high heels on on gravel roads. <laughs> we um we all kind of grew up as tomboys. Even in the show, when you look at Carla, who was working with Parker, and 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 you know went on Parker's trails. I mean, she was like the real tomboy and survival experts and everything. So you kind of can see in that environment, in like say, whether it be Alaska or the Yukon or Dawson City, you're kind of thrown into a lot of scenarios where you need to be tough and you need to live off the land. I don't mean literally, but you know, you need to rough it, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, all of us usually know how to wield a chainsaw and start a fire and you know that's that's just basic life <laughs> that's, I have to my house will freeze if I don't do that but yeah that's just the basic life so it was kind of funny yeah so me and Monica kind of uh you know had a different kind of uh we're, we're chasing different things as teenagers Monica was working a lot I was uh not working <laughs> um and so we kind of drifted apart just because because she was working all the time and and yeah and I was 
chasing boys and causing trouble. So um, it was really when I started working for her back in 2017 that uh, our friendship came back together and, and now she's my bestie. So yeah, it was, that's, that's honestly one of the best things. And for you, when you were a teenager, you know, did you kind of say, well, I, I'm not going to end up working in the mines or I'm not going to be there. I'm going to do different stuff. Like, because I'm sure people would tell you, oh, you'll probably end up working with Monica. And you'd say, no, I'm going to do my own thing. Did you have ambitions to be other things or what was in your head? Yeah, absolutely. No, um, uh, people didn't necessarily like say that I was going to go gold mining, but it's it's usually something a lot of teenagers here fall back on because you can make really good money. It's to say like if you want to go to college or something like this it's great you you mine in the summertime when you're usually after school you can make really good money so a lot of teenagers definitely do go and work out in the mines here for sure because yeah you can make really good bank really young it's like the mcdonald's of the yukon isn't it it's <laughs> yeah if you're making way more money <laughs> yeah in the city people say well you can get a job in mcdonald's or in burger king or whatever but that's yeah. like that with 10 times the money. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. You can go run a rock truck for Tony Beats. <laughs> um, yeah, no. When I was 16, all I wanted to do was go and live in Tofino, which is a surf town in BC. And I wanted to live in a tree fort and I wanted to surf. That was the <laughs> that's all I wanted to do. Um, no, I bartended for a really long time. I just bartended and was a server and I had no no thought of going into gold mining i suppose it's something it's kind of inevitable for some people because you know when you're maybe 12 13 you don't realize the value of money as much you want it but you don't realize the value of it but then as and you're you know it's like when people are younger and they say i'm never going to get married and then when they're 16 or 17 they fall in love and they're like i want to get <laughs> yeah. married mom you know so i think yeah <laughs> in, in the yukon probably what happens is teenagers kind of suddenly realize oh wait if i go gold mining for one season i can buy a truck you know what i mean exactly yeah no exactly that's the whole reason why i'm still gold mining is so that i can just gallivant around the world for six months out of the year <laughs> that's a really good reason for sure you know and did you yeah. have like because you and monica were besties as you say and really good friends were there other girls or uh, did you have a crew who kind of went working with you as well in the summers there or was it just the two of you um monica has had quite a few of her friends work for her um i think i'm the only one that's kind of really stuck around we had i mean her and lisa like lisa has been working for tony for over 10 years you don't really see lisa much on the show she doesn't really like to be filmed but uh she's been there for like over 10 years longer than i have way longer than i have um one of my really good friends and and monica's really good friends megan she actually used to work for parker you might have seen her on a clip or two she used to work for parker she came to and you would have seen her she on uh the last couple seasons working for tony she feeds the plants um she she's one of my good friends she was my roommate for years i got her to come and work out out there again so there's a few girls definitely there's definitely a few of us girls that have known each other for all of our lives yeah and it's you know that thing that kind of situation when you have a friend and you say hey listen come work with me in this job you know it'll be great for you and everything but then maybe they come along and 
either they don't work out or Tony, the boss, doesn't feel they're up to it. So I'm sure you've seen those situations yeah. where you've had to say to a friend, well, look, maybe it's not for you. Yeah, honestly, I have. I have had to do that, and I've seen it happen a lot. Michael has had to go through that a couple of times, and now he's like, I'm not bringing anything else here. Because it's hard. You feel you feel responsible for them. Like, I can promise my work ethic. I can promise how I will work, but I can't. I can't promise how somebody else is going to work. And it's same, like, Michael's had some people come over from Europe and try to work, and, uh, you know, they're they're here for like a big adventure and he's he's already been here this is his fourth season in canada now it's his third season working for tony um and you know he had that adventure stuff at the beginning not that we're not still having adventures but like he's trying to build a life here he's here to work he's it's a very serious thing and it's not fun all of the time a lot of people watch the show and think oh this is going to be so much fun i'm going to go work for tony beats and gold rush and this is going to be action-packed and super fun all of the time and it's not really the case like it's it's hard work it's hard work you have long hours and yeah if you get stuck on a rock truck you're driving in circles for 12 hours it's really not that entertaining <laughs> yeah it's amazing you know when they edit stuff and you know like they have to change a wheel or something and then you know they edit it and it's like five ten minutes of you know clips and you're thinking they're probably there for six <laughs> hours you know doing stuff because you can see how i I remember that episode where mike he probably hates to be reminded us of this if he listens where the the wash plant fell off on the side of the road oh, yeah you know, and the, it was, I think it was in the last season. Yeah, yeah. last season. And um, so I'm, I'm, it's funny because they, you know, they brought all the machines and in the show, it's like 20 minutes, <laughs> maybe 25 minutes getting it all done. Yeah. And you're thinking that's probably the whole day. Yeah, that was a few hours for sure. Yeah, they, because he, he flipped it quite a ways. To, he was bringing it like out to, yeah, like, out towards the Indian, which is a couple hour drive from the hill. And then, yeah, that happened. So then you have to go get loaders and you got to get Tony. Yeah, that was definitely a lot longer than 20 minutes. <laughs> Very tedious things that we don't see. You know, it's like, I imagine there does even be situations where you have to drive 20 kilometers and then you say, oh, I forgot the fucking spanner. <laughs> I'm sure sometimes you forget small things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes everybody's got to go chasing Tony or something because he forgot the thing. And you're like, no, yeah, come yeah, back yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, radios radios help. <laughs> radios, yeah, radios are important, I think, there. And then, you know, f for you, when you got there and, like, as you said, you, you were what age when you kind of started working on the mine? 16, 17? No, I was 21. Oh, you're 21. You're older, yeah. So... At that stage, had you calmed down a little bit and kind of realized, okay, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I, I li still like to travel and I'm still a bit crazy, but I think I want to do this more now. Had that come into your head? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I say I would have calmed down when I was about eighteen. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, no, I had my I had my rebellious years between like fourteen and eighteen. Um, but no, I I, pur I purchased my house when I was 18, so I think I was like settling down by that point. Yeah, no, I was, I was purchasing my house. I was already starting to go travel like all winter long. So by that point, I had calmed down for sure. I actually, so I 
I used to work for a, a certain hotel here in town and I was bartending for years. And I thought at that time, I thought that I was going to become a hotel manager. That's kind of where my thought was going. And I was going to do that here in the summertime. And then I was going to travel and maybe like open up something in Mexico and do that during the wintertime. And that was kind of my plan. And then uh, the people that I worked for, I was really close with them. They ended up selling the hotel. And I kind of just thought I could keep on doing what I know, or I could try something else. And Monica had always offered me a job. And uh, at the time, like one of my relationship that I was in was, was kind of failing. So I was like, I just needed something new. I needed something new. I, you know, I was here. Monica offered me a job and I was like, you know what, let's, let's fucking try it. Let's go see what happens. Yeah. Like it's a chance to branch out, do something different. No. Yeah. And that's what I love. I love exploring. I love change. I love learning new things. So I was like, yeah, let's play, take the plunge. It was the, it was the best opportunity for me to switch it up. And, uh, and all of a sudden seven years went by. <laughs> wow. And I want to get into the show more in a few minutes, but what I want to find out as well, you know, because I, you know, I can see by your style and everything, your tattoos and everything. Are you like a rock chick? You know, what kind of music do you like? <laughs> I do like a little bit of rock. Yeah. Uh, I listen to all sorts of stuff. I'm actually super into electronic music. Oh, electronic music. Okay. So mm-hmm. you're, you're, yeah. you're not, not, is it more like a raver or more techno? Is it, what, what are you into? <laughs> I listen to a really uh, different kind of genre of electronic music called ghetto funk. Uh, and it's kind of like old. Okay. I've heard of ghetto funk. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I listen to a lot of Canadian DJs. My best friend, he's from Mexico. He's a DJ. Well, he's sorry. He's, he's from Canada, but he lives in Mexico. He's a DJ. So I listen to a lot of like drum and bass and, and uh, tropical influenced and, because I live in Mexico for most out of the year. So. <laughs> but I listen to everything. I still listen to old rock and roll and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, that's cool because I imagine for people watching the show, you know, because the way these shows are edited, you don't necessarily hear what the, the operators are listening to while they're working. And, you know, they could put like elevator <laughs> music and everyone is very calm. And then you could be listening to death yeah. metal and they're kind of good, but they'd never let the audience hear that. So I'm curious sometimes because I'm a musician and this show, we have lots of musicians on it. And um, I'm always curious because, you know, I know uh, Rick Ness was playing like double bass in a, in a swing kind of band. And so I imagine in, 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 you know, in certain towns, let's say, and in the Yukon itself, you have different styles of music. So I was curious. I was thinking, I wonder, is it like rock? Is it rockabilly? What is it she likes, you know? Yeah. No, I love, I love really all types of music, really. It it depends on the day. And, and running a, running a piece of equipment, you listen, you go through all of your feelings in 12 hours. So you also listen to all types of music in 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah i saw actually a good thing today and it said uh, what was it it said if emotions are how we show ourselves music is also how we express it because the thing is it depends on the mood you're in doesn't it and one minute you might want to listen to trance or techno or whatever and the next it might be just pop or whatever no totally exactly honestly i listen to a lot of a lot of electronic music in the equipment when i'm falling asleep <laughs> okay <laughs> so keep I'm you like, awake all right let's Let's get me awake. But yeah, but not all the time. Sometimes, but yeah, a lot of the time I listen to rock and roll and 
and acoustic. And I uh, honestly, I listen to a lot of podcasts. podcasts okay, that's good. Yeah, that's there. good. Yeah, are mostly what I listen to actually when I run equipment, and it's what most of us listen to because with music, three songs go by and you're like, oh, it must have been hours, and turns out no, it was like ten minutes. But a podcast or an audiobook, you can kind of get lost in the story. And then all of a sudden, a few hours have gone by, and it's like fucking a. So <laughs> I actually, yeah, that's it. I mean, you can listen to some podcasts, and they're three hours long. Yeah, and you're like, wow, that's really great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's cool. And I imagine even well, there's people probably learning French and languages in the machine because you have this time, and you're sitting down, and you're working, and it's hard on your body, but your mind can be stimulated as well while you're working, no? Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I really trying to try to find a Frisian podcast or a Frisian language that I can learn <laughs> that I can speak Frisian with Michael, <laughs> but it's not working yet. <laughs> that will sound funny because in, you know, in, in Ireland, for example, we have the Frisian cow, yeah. know, the cow with the, the Frisian. Yeah. And so if you said to someone, I'm looking for a Frisian podcast, they'll say about, about cows. <laughs> you say, no, no, no. It's about the Frisian, Friesland in the Netherlands because they'd be mixed up. But I think Frisian cows come from that area. I think that's the link. You know? Yes. Yeah. The Frisian cows and the Frisian horses. They, that's where they come yeah, from. Yes. Yeah. 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 Because he speaks. He speaks Dutch and he also speaks Frisian, right? So it's, it's a whole, it's its whole own language. So. I'm trying to I'm trying to learn it, but it's a very hard language to learn. <laughs> yes, very good. And uh, while we're talking about Michael, actually now, because Michael is Tony's nephew, so Tony's from Frischland as well, and and Minnie is too, I think, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my first year winter, we went there. They actually were there at the same time, and they actually showed me where they grew up, which was kind of cool. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there was one show. I, I could be wrong. You know, sometimes when you have a memory, but then you're not sure how you imagine it. <laughs> I think <laughs> there was a show where they showed Tony going back to where he was, he grew up or they had, maybe they had pictures of it. Maybe they only had pictures, but um, no, it was yeah, I think that, yeah, there was, wasn't there? Yeah. 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 So I went to that exact farm. Wow. Brilliant. So for, for, you know, because obviously Michael's not here, but on, on behalf of Michael, Tell us, when Michael came over, was that something that he kind of made the decision to come himself or Tony said, hey, come on over? So it was actually a complete fluke of how he came here. So um, Michael actually originally came over to milk cows. <laughs> okay. So he he actually, yeah, so, his, so he came over to milk cows and that was actually right when COVID first hit. So he was originally supposed to come to Canada in... Um, in like April or May, but then kind of COVID craziness happened and it got pushed back. So he didn't actually end up coming to Canada until June. So then he came to Canada and he was actually first in Barhead in Alberta and he milked cows for like nine months. And then I guess like the milking season, I guess. I don't know what to call it, but his time there was over. <laughs> you have to clarify what it is. There'll be some perverts out there going, I know what that yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, I know what that is. Yeah, that's right. We're going to get your podcast today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but his time was done. Uh, 
in, in Alberta. And so he actually ended up having three months left on his visa um, because he had come later than he was supposed to. Um, and so he was like, well, I might as well go and see if I can go gold mining for my uncle because he, he just happened to have these three months left. And then, so yeah, he came up uh, originally just for those three months. And then, uh, and then he fell in love with gold mining, and he fell in love with me. So oh. <laughs> now he has to. And stay. you know, it's a lot of pressure because if you said to someone in the Yukon, "I'm going, uh, I'm going gold mining with my uncle," and they're like, "Oh, that sounds nice. Who's your uncle? Tony Beats? Oh God, are you sure? Are you sure that? Yeah, oh, yeah, because Tony's a hard man, and I imagine with. Even family, maybe there's more pressure on them. Yeah. I mean, Michael is so <laughs> I'm gonna tell you a funny story. So when Michael first showed up, the first way that I met Michael, I watched I was on Rock Truck in the cut and I watched somebody come over a hill with a deal D ten dozer in third gear. You never run a dozer in third gear. <laughs> never. And I saw I just okay, saw this okay. dozer barreling yeah. over this hill in third gear, and I was like, oh, I don't know who that is, but that guy's going to be fired. <laughs> and of course, he didn't get fired. I don't even think Tony saw it, but I was like, what are you doing, man? And he's like, well, I work for Tony Beats. Everything has to be fast. <laughs> I was like, okay, I get it. <laughs> and actually, there was one show recently where I saw it was um... – on Parker's crew on a few episodes ago on of the last season and uh Mitch was you know his mechanic Mitch Blaske was looking and they saw somebody coming in the rock truck and they said who the hell is driving the rock truck at that speed and then they realized it was Parker and they said oh it's okay you won it <laughs> that's funny that's super you know funny. Yeah. yeah yeah because I I think that's it yeah you as you said earlier when you're an operator, you have to learn to control them at the speed that doesn't break them. Yeah. Well, they're old. Those D those D tens are are old, and yeah, you just don't. But I get I get where his train of thought was because yeah, Tony wants everything done three weeks ago. Um. So yeah, he's. <laughs> yes, of course. And for you and Michael, then I mean, is that very hard? to maintain a romance, a relationship, working together, one, but in that environment, do you find a lot of pressure from having to work together all the time or you, you've you found a way to work around it? Um, No, we've done great. I don't know. Me and Michael really, so yeah, he started in April. We didn't get together until June. Um, And then, yeah, we've been, we've been working beside, living beside, traveling beside each other every day since day one. So I don't think we know any different. Um, we don't actually get to work together all that much. Me and Michael are usually off doing different things. Um, sometimes, like sometimes we see each other a lot. So it's like a little wave and a little kissy face and, and you keep going. But uh... <laughs> you have to make sure it's the right guy in the truck you're blowing kisses. you be like, I hope that was Michael. <laughs> and then it said, this is Tony. Why are you blowing kisses at me? Yeah, no, the funniest thing is probably having Tony around because Tony is always like, you know, just he's like, well, you know, when when's the baby coming? When are you getting married? So he's always, <laughs> he's putting his own pressure on it. Like that. Yeah, he's putting his own pressure on it. And film crew love it. 
Of course. That's a whole thing for the show. Of course. The thing I think is in, in all the seasons of Gold Rush, you've seen maybe sometimes possibly there could be like, you know, is there a relationship off camera? And I, I know, and not so much on Tony's crew, you never really saw it, but I remember on Parker's crew when there was some girls there and people were thinking, is there something there, you know? Um, but I think to- I think Parker's like Tony, yeah. you know, he's a hard man to work with and everything. So, so, <laughs> but I imagine for you guys, it was a case of do we hide it or like it's impossible to hide it. Was that uh, was that something you talked about? No, not at all. We didn't hide it at all. No, um, I'm a I'm a pretty blunt human being. <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not subtle at all. So no, there was yeah. You can't was, hide it. No, I think I think actually even before we got together, Tony saw me. I don't know, probably given eyes to Michael, and he was like, "Oh God, we leave yeah. that poor guy alone." <laughs> I was like, "No." <laughs> uh, <laughs> He's just kind of seen history repeating itself, probably in different situations. Yeah, yeah. No, he's 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 been supportive. Um, no, me and Michael just yeah, we fell into each other, and and then honestly, it's so nice having it's so nice being able to go home to each other because it is a hard, you know, it's That's a, lovely. Yeah, it's a long day and it's a long few months, and you know, a lot of these guys don't see their their kids or their wives for seven months out of the year, and it's nice being able to come home and you know get a hug from the person I love and we can mutually bitch about things that happened that day. And it's, it's nice. It's nice to have the support. I have seen many couples that, that start in the mining industry and don't work out um, because you, you maybe carry much too much from work that day home or, you know, life outside of the mine is very different than real life. You're kind of in your own little world out there. And, you know, when when people kind of hook up in the mind sometimes, this person looks so shiny and so great. And then you get out in the world, real world and turns out, no, <laughs> they were just a cuddle. <laughs> just- yeah, of course. And, and I think what it is, it's kind of like, um, you know, someone can seem more attractive when there's less of them around, too. Because, you know, you have that situation <laughs> where you'd like, I'd never look at that guy. And then you're with him for six months and you're like, hey, he looks a bit better now. Yeah, yeah no. And even even uh, even me and Michael, like when, you know, when we got together, we got together in June. And then we, you know, we got to probably our season runs till about October. And I think it was like in August that we were like, so like he was planning to go back to the Netherlands. I was planning to go to Mexico and we could kind of joked and like made some comments about, I was like, Oh, maybe I'll go to Europe or something. And, and I think it was like, yeah, August or September when I think I had said that exactly. I was like, Oh, somebody had asked me and they're like, well, Ruby, where are you going this winter? And I was like, Oh, maybe Europe or something. And, And then he was like, he was like, should we do this? Like, are we going to do this? And I was like, yeah, I'll go to Europe, but I'll only go to Europe as your girlfriend. So, Yeah. I mean, that's it. That's the way to go. You're like, well, I can go, but you know, I need, I don't just need a ticket to Europe. I need a ticket to love. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) I was not that smooth. (laughs) I'm thinking how you convinced him, but good job anyway, you know? 
Yeah. You know, when we get into the show and, and how the show is made and so on. And, you know, it's funny because I remember when Todd was on the podcast and, you know, I said to him, I said, Todd, look, when we watch the show, you know, sometimes you'll see the producers saying, you know, oh, they're they're not there. And he said, yeah, they're in these shows. There are moments when something happens and the production crew aren't there and they say to you, can you do it again? <laughs> and they're like, can, can we do it again? And they say, he just fell under the rock truck. Yeah, but can you do it again? Can you do it again? Yeah. I've had those moments. Yeah, I'm sure there are moments when the camera crews get in the way, but also they're trying to kind of recreate scenes that maybe they missed or little moments are, are also doing these pickup shots yeah. and things. So that's kind of hard to get. We see it as a flawless finished thing. But for you guys, I'm sure it must be a bit frustrating, no? Yeah, it can be. Um, you know, I I try to be re as respectful as I can with film crew because they're also just trying to do their job. Like, they're, you know, they're just trying to do their job. And really, at the end of the day, it's not even their decision. They're getting told what to do from London. Um, so, and and I think a lot of the time, these people have never been in a gold line before. They don't really know how it works. Like, you know, so sometimes they ask like silly questions or we had like a huge pipe explode on us one day and they, and they fucking came up to me and they're like, can you make that happen again? And I was like, no, I cannot make this giant ass pipe explode again. <laughs> Tony will, Tony's going to kill me for the first time. I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I think somebody, so somebody like the plant had gone down and they, they shut off the valves in the wrong way so that that whole thing exploded, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, can you make that happen again? And we're like, no, of course not. We cannot make that happen again. Seven. Um. I suppose over time, as they're learning how to film the mine, they probably start putting cameras everywhere so that they're just getting shots of everything. They try to. Yeah, even when it's like, if there's nothing happening for hours and all of a sudden the pipe bursts, you know, hopefully they have a camera somewhere in the zone, don't they? Yeah, and that's how usually they can get in the way. They just get really excited because something is going down, and I get it. Like, they're trying to film something. My job for Tony comes first. My obligation, you know, I, I am a pig character for Discovery now, but my job for Tony comes first. So, like, if I'm... If, yeah, if something's going down and I'm running full tilt to try to shut something down or something's going on and they're trying to chase me and say really put on a mic really put on the mic i'm like fucking leave me alone <laughs> like, i have something to do once i've like you know put out the flames then i'll put on the mic and we can do whatever show you want but like my obligation and my my main job comes first you see sometimes when mike you know when he gets under pressure he'll tell them you see, you see that quite a lot where, you know, where he'll just go, leave me the hell alone or get out of my face. When you're operating heavy machinery, you know, there are, you have to be on your A game and dangerous occupation. So you can't have anybody distracting you in stressful moments, can you? Yeah, there's a fine balance. There's definitely a fine balance. You have to make sure, um, you know, not everybody, not everybody gets along with film crew as much um as i do i guess but there's just that balance like yeah these people are just trying to do their job but at the same time they have to respect that we're also trying to do our jobs and and sometimes like if we've asked you hey like you know what right now you need to back off 
or you need to leave me alone at the moment and they kind of keep pestering then of course then it can be really yeah it can be really frustrating because you're trying to get something done it's of course they're always showing up when something's going wrong because that's that's of course what makes tv um so of course you're already already stressed out but yeah it's a fine balance i think it's something that us as operators need to find a balance with and i think it's something that that film crew also needs to find balance with you know like when we've told you four times no come back in 20 minutes <laughs> you need to respect that with those machines because some of them have a really long arm you know are sometimes the the i don't think you use this word there um in the yukon but for example in europe sometimes they, they call it the jib the arm do you use that word the jib you use that too no no we use the stick and the boom yeah the stick and the boom yeah sometimes we i would i grew up next to a guy who was an excavator driver and he would be saying like the jib and the boom he'd all these different names but mm -hmm. i think probably yeah. with those machines especially for the film crew is more the tail end of the of the excavator when it's turning because it's in your blind spot and, yeah and and that's like whatever's in front of you but if you're turning and they happen to be there. That's quite dangerous, isn't it? Yeah, they're all right for that. They they also have a safety person that's with them all the time. So they they come in little clusters. There's like a sound person and a, a video person, usually a PR, I think they call them. And then uh, there's a safety person. They always have a safety person for them. And they're the, the safety person's job is literally because it's usually the cameraman that always gets in the way because of course he's like focused on his shot. So he's like, you know, walking backwards and there's a pipe or something or, you know, so that literally that safety person pretty much just like grabs the cameraman by the collar and just like make sure he doesn't die. <laughs> right. The worst thing they do is probably the parking. <laughs> Their parking is just horrendous. They park in the wrong places. Always. <laughs> Every single time. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then when you talk about the machines themselves, so... We see you a lot on the excavator, but you know you've you've done the rock trucks and you've done them all. Have you a favorite machine? What's your favorite? A dozer is my favorite. You like the dozer? I like the dozer. Yeah, I really like the dozer. I would love some more. I would love to learn how to rip, but I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll see how if that happens. But uh, no, dozer is my favorite. Um, I like dozer the most because you're usually building something. You're usually like yeah. doing something with it. Um, whereas like the excavator and the loader and the rock truck, you're usually just kind of doing the same thing over. It gets very monotonous. Um, so I really like dozer because yeah, you're usually like building a pad or building a road or doing something with it, and I I I enjoy that. I, I imagine that building the pad, you know, is quite fun as well. But also when you see, let's say, if Mike's ripping or any of the other crews are ripping, you know, it's quite hard on the the ripper blade, and you have to have a big machine. So that I mean, that ground is really really rock hard isn't it so you can see the damage it does to the machine frozen. frozen yeah there's no there's no elsa around but the yeah, ground's frozen frost. you know yeah <laughs> <That's> yeah <scary. laughs> You're funny. But, uh, for you do you say to tony oh can i get a few hours on the doors or are, you know are you trying to kind of get into machines that you don't normally drive yeah um <laughs> I don't know how much I can I can divulge of this season. Um, oh, okay, okay. You can't let it slip yet. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, don't let it um, slip. Don't spoil it. 
okay I won't spoil it for anybody yeah um you know I really would like to learn to rip um but Tony Tony doesn't want me to rip um because it's very hard on your body and I have a really bad back I've uh I've hurt myself a few times I've got some uh really bad problems in my spine um but it's really hard on you because you're constantly sitting like backwards right you're having to to twist and watch oh yeah yeah because you're yeah because you're looking back all the time Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and he so i asked him last year or the year before i was really pushing trying to be like let me run the desert let me run the desert um and he's like he's like i think he's getting sick of it because he's like ruby like you're just gonna fall apart like your back cannot handle that like you're gonna be in pain and i'm just like let me try like i want to do this um, and he's like, I'm gonna put you in the hardest fucking ground that I can find for a shift, and you're gonna be so fucking broken that you're never gonna ask me the fucking question again. And I'm like, that's mean. <laughs> You'll you- be walking around like this all the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll be stuck backwards. Yeah, that's actually a question. You know, it's a, maybe a technical thing, but why, when you're ripping like that in the dozer? Why can the seat not swivel around? Like, it, why why can't you turn the chair? Yeah, so actually in a dozer, it doesn't sit straight. It actually does sit, like, uh, kind of... Sideways, okay. Side, sideways, kind of, a little bit. Um, but it doesn't... It doesn't... I, j- I think just because there's not enough room in the cab, like, even in, the, even in that big D11 to swivel. I, um, but, yeah, they actually do sit like sideways they don't they don't sit straight so on. they have a kind of vision both ways yeah a little bit but you're always still always still twisted like this like you're you're always watching that blade and you you still have to keep on on the controls right so yeah i don't know why engineers engineers i blame engineers yeah engineers yeah yeah well and that's the thing and i suppose the viewers never see the kind of uh, turmoil on your body from these machines because even with the rock trucks it doesn't matter how well they build the roads i remember tony i don't know i think he still has it you know the grader for the roads yeah so and i, I you, you imagine that put down a very nice layer of roads and it was maybe easier to drive on but as you said there in the rock trucks or when they're going back and over all day this must be really difficult on their back no yeah absolutely and i mean like you can grade the road as much as you want but you're not going to go grade in the cut right so it's when you go into the cut and it's and you're bouncing around it is it is like equipment operating and and people think that like or at least a person like me like we don't just sit in the equipment all day you're still you still have to do gold cleanups which take a lot of uh work on your back you still have to it can still we don't run equipment all the time sometimes you're in the yard and you're flinging pails and you you know it is hard on your body. You sit for a long time. I don't ever think sitting for 12 hours a day is very good on your body. Um, you're getting jostled around. You're getting bumped around. It's Yeah, it, it can be really tough on your body. Loader used to be my favorite, but now if I sit in a loader for, for 12 hours, if I have to do that for a month straight, I'm in pretty rough condition because you bounce. You just bounce for 12 hours. And when Monica had her baby, obviously, she had to step away from the machines because you don't want the baby coming out like a basketball after he's born because that's the only (laughs) movement he knows, you know? 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> she definitely fell asleep really easily when you rocked her. Yeah. <laughs> she used to that. Yeah, no, M- Monica worked up. Monica worked up right until she was about to give birth. Like she worked, she didn't stop working. She worked all the way up until she gave birth to, to, uh, Jasmine in May at the end of May. Her birthday is the 29th, I believe. I didn't know this. Um, (laughs) um, but she worked like you actually in the Yukon because they can't deliver babies here. She had to go down to Whitehorse. Uh, so she had to leave, I think three weeks you have to be down there for. But she worked right up until then. She worked right up until the beginning of May. She was loading rock trucks. Tony left to get a baby delivery machine just to keep the workers on site. <laughs> yeah, I, I I said that to him the other day because he was like, "Oh, what, you know, like where? What are you going to start producing? Like all this practice? Where's the where's the product?" And I was like, "Well, Tony, I can't get pregnant. I got to work." And he's like, "Ah, well, you'll be fine." <laughs> There's still Give, here's a few do. days off. <laughs> yeah. I saw it in one of the shows, I think, or the narrator was talking about it, but it's a kind of a startling fact is that they say that you for every, you know, small bucket of gold, you need to dig up a whole football field, you know? So that's that's quite something, isn't it? Like when you can see, you know, when, the amount of earth you need to shift and the amount of yardage and so on. And you're still trying to get that half bucket of gold or whatever, or even a, a pail mm-hmm. of gold. So it's it's kind of astronomical, the amount of dirt you have to move, isn't it? Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy, especially like up on the hill, how much overburden we move. It's just insane. Like we had to go, what, 180 feet down for overburden to get to pay. Like that's, we, we, we moved a mountain. We literally moved. Yeah, you you do literally. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And then you think about like all the overhead costs that they, you know, that they spend. Like a dozer, a D eleven dozer, I think burns through like twenty four hundred dollars worth of fuel every twelve hours. Like that's you know, and then you're paying the operator sitting on top of that. You're paying the all the parts, you know, the wear and tear. Like yeah, the wear and, and tear. And yeah, that's just one machine. That's one machine out of all of like the fleet of rock trucks that he has, and the excavators, and the welders, and the carpenters, and the mechanics, and the cooks, Everybody. and the office people. Like it's really crazy. You got to be a special type of crazy to be a gold miner, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a special fascination. Yeah. Also, when you were saying about the mountain. How does that happen then when you have to dig, for example, 180 feet? Do do you have like safety engineers that come in and say, okay, look, you've taken away half that mountain. The rest could fall. Or, I mean, it, because, you know, sometimes you see the trucks up on the edge of these ravines and so on. So is there ever a time when you're up, you know, when you're on it beforehand, it's not as scary. But then you say, oh, God, there's a 100 foot drop there, a 180 foot drop. So are there moments when you're kind of, as they say, you're you're kind of stuck to your seat with fear, you know? No, no, because the way that we do it, you know, you, you don't, it's not like you're, you're taking 180 feet off all at once. Like, you know, so it's all by layers. It's all by layers. And then, so yes, then, right. and then, so your, your face is done. So every time you go a layer down, you have to make a bench. So that if there's any part of that wall that starts to tumble, it just falls onto that bench. 
and there are safety precautions put into there. And then it's same with where the rock trucks are dumping. Like, of course, they dramatic, make it all dramatic on TV, but there's berms in place. Like, there's berms in place. You know, people are properly trained. There's, there's, there's definitely safety measures put in place so that nobody gets hurt. You know, we are in an industry where accidents happen. I've seen, you know, rock trucks split. Sometimes walls fall down. But, you know, and the people that are trained, like, you know, the excavator operators and stuff that are out there are also trained to watch for this kind of stuff. So we're all trained about how, or we all know and have the knowledge of the, of watching the bank and knowing that, you know, if you start seeing dirt trickle in a certain way, you know that that, that bench is about to fall. And you move everybody Okay. even further away yeah. from it of course stuff can happen i have seen walls come down um but you know we take we take every precaution that we can and and tony's been gold mining for 40 plus years so there's definitely things in the way that we removed her in the way that we stacked her in the way that we do things to make it safe this, these are people's lives these are multi-million dollar machines you know that's I don't need to mean to sound harsh, but that's that's production. You know, if if something happens, that that whole production gets halted. Like there, you have to you have to put those those things in place. You can't really take chances, and as you said, with that amount of experience Tony has, he knows what situations could happen. So he's thinking ahead of the game all the time. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Of yeah, one hundred percent. And everybody is like, you have to have people. Everybody needs to have their eyes open. Everybody needs to be paying attention. That's. That's just yeah. If you're not if you're not being paying attention or being reckless, like you're you just don't last. You'll just be out of there. Like if you're not if you're a rock truck driver, I know the biggest thing about the rock truck drivers, like being an excavator operator. You know, one thing that is drilled into their heads is that the second that you feel that dirt hit your box, you stop. Okay. You stop because if if and you put on your parking brake because if you know if I'm sitting at the same level as a rock truck driver and he doesn't stop when I want him to stop and he rolls back he's gonna crush me he's gonna crush me to death so you know if people aren't paying attention and you you fuck around you're just gone you just don't you just don't stay you've kind of seen through seasons you know people who roll rock trucks and people who kind of are too dangerous like somebody could say oh you know maybe that's harsh they could learn but you're also holding other people's lives in your hand, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. And again, mistakes happen. Like we, you know, people flip rock truck boxes um, and, you know, it's not like they're fired on the spot. Um, no. You know, you you definitely, you definitely get a talking to and you definitely, it usually fucking shakes people away pretty fast. Um, and, you know, sh- shit happens. People are human. People make mistakes. Things, things, things occur, but you know, it's just, it's just being aware and being accountable for your mistake. And, and, you know, if you can own up to it and apologize and, you know, just take away from that experience and learn better then then you'll be okay. But it's just, you know, it's, it's always ignorance. It's always ignorance that gets you in trouble. So what's the situation then with, because of the popularity of the show, do you get people every season coming, looking to work there? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. Even even me myself, like I have so many messages every single day about people asking me to get them work and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong department. Like I can't <laughs> I'm not I'm you not can clean my house. I can't help you. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, no, I'm in the I'm in the wrong department. Sorry, like you got to go through the certain channels now. You're like, I do need a broom operator if you're free. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you want to come clean my yard? You can do that. <laughs> we have a lot of people that that think that we're in the states and we're not. We're in Canada. The Yukon is in Canada. <laughs> So a lot of people are like, oh, I can come work here. And they're like, do you have a work visa? And they're like, no, you're, you're, I'm, I'm American. And we're like, that's cool. <laughs> we're in Canada. We're not in America. <laughs> no, that's nice. See you in the mine on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> that's a huge thing. A lot of fans think that I'm American and I'm, I'm not, I'm Canadian. <laughs> Yeah, because that says you said there's, you know, all these names and there's, you know, there's Haynes, Alaska, there's the Yukon, the Austin City. So people get mixed up in the names and the places. I can imagine, yeah, there are people mm-hmm. that make the pilgrimage to come up and seek yeah. to get a job. But then they realize that, you know, it's not just about being on television because explain that process to us, actually, because if you go there working and if you say flat out, you were saying, I would Lisa maybe said, I don't want to be on television as much. But for people who go there, how do the the film crews kind of screen them? They say, oh, they're wannabes. They want to be on TV. How do they deal with all of that? You can decide if you want it to be shown or not. A lot of people don't get shown. A lot of people don't get shown. You, you I mean, people, if you want to be shown, then you have to find like a yeah. an agreement. But no, they don't hand out contracts like like anything. It's it's hard to get a contract. I was lucky, you know. Tony Tony helped me get me my contract. Um, but no, it's it's not an easy it's not an easy thing. It's all about. I don't know how they make the decision, honestly. I I think I think I think in the beginning of of Gold Rush, maybe it was a little bit easier because it was like the beginning of the show. We're in like what season thirteen, fourteen now. Thirteen, fourteen. I'm lost. I just keep. I just know when the seasons come up, but it's yeah, it's pretty far ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how it was at the beginning. I believe that it was probably a lot easier for people to get contracts at the beginning of Gold Rush when they were developing the show and developing characters um but no nowadays it's not it's they don't just hand out contracts i think you got to be there for quite a few years i think you have to like really be a character um and i think you really have to fight for it if you really want a contract they don't make it easy yeah what i wanted to ask you was as well about the whole gold fever thing because i think for people who don't you know have never experienced that (laughs) <laughs> they watch these shows sometimes and they kind of go, yeah, but come on, like, look at some of these people are mining and they get nothing and whatever. But I think, you know, from having watched these shows for years now, the gold fever really mm-hmm. does get some people, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. The people that come up here, that like actually come up here and, I, you know, I don't know for the show, but it's been like that for years. Like the the call of the wild, the call of the north, it's a different kind of living it's a different kind of world up here. Even people that, you know, are attracted to the North and attra- attracted to the Yukon and uh, Alaska for its beauty and its nature. And it's, you know, it's kind of removed from the rest of society. That that attraction has always been there. And yeah, of course, gold mining. It's so, it's so like wild, wild west. It's such a different, different lifestyle. And, and I think a lot of people crave that, right? Like that adventure, like what a life, what an adventure that is to be up in the middle of nowhere and chasing shiny rocks and 
having bears come through your camp and you know it sounds unreal it sounds like a it does it sounds like a uh, a novel and it, there, there has been novels written about it right yeah of course i mean from the early days of the yukon and and the, all the miners that went there i mean there's so such amazing stories and you yeah. know even when you watch other shows and they say yeah. about gold lost in the hills and you know even there's just like such a gold fever all the way up from north america and um you can see how I can imagine for you when you were younger, even the first time you held gold and uh, nuggets or things in your hand, it probably does like, oh, okay, I got you now, Ruby. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I I think because I grew up around it and because I grew up in this town, it wasn't as fascinating as uh, a lot of people think. But I, as I got older, honestly, I I understand and and. As I travel the world, I understand more and more this attraction of the Yukon. My mom was not from here. My dad is from here. And, you know, growing up here, I was, was like, why the fuck did my parents decide to come and live in the middle of fucking nowhere? I mean, why, why here? <laughs> like, uh, you know, the winters are really hard. They're really cold. Uh, you know, I haven't spent a winter here in 10 years. It'll be Michael and I are spending the winter here this year. It'll be my first year in 10 years. And I'm still like, what are we doing? Um, but I think, I think of course the gold adds to it, but I really think that gold fever is, is the whole thing. It's the whole atmosphere. I think it's the call of the wild. I think it's living up here. I think, yeah, you want to go play. It's, it's every kid's little dream. Let's go play in the sandbox and find cool shit. Like everybody wants to do that. <laughs> so I think, of course, yeah. I think watching Michael, I think he's got some gold fever. You know, he really likes the industry. There's a lot of freedom out here, especially compared to places like Europe and the city. Like, I think it's a whole package. I don't think it like gold, of course, is the shiny little cherry on top. But I, I think it's really the whole the whole package. He went looking for nuggets and he found rubies. So, you know, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've heard so, that line so many times. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard that so many times. Yeah. But the other thing as well, with the dark side of gold mining, I mean, you know, when you look back through history, men, women, people have been killed over gold. So in modern gold mining, when you see kind of fights over claims and I'm sure like you, you said you worked as a bartender. So I'm sure you've seen arguments breaking out in the bars over land disputes and claims and, you know, just gold mining in general, no? Uh, not so much. Not so much. No, like probably, you know, probably 30 years ago, it was a lot more um, like that. There, You still definitely do hear about debates and, you know, you know, those were on my claim and you're, you're, you are mining past your claim post. And of course those debates come in because it, it's expensive. Gold mining is an expensive 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 industry like you you spend so much money to get the shiny shiny stuff and it's not honestly it's not guaranteed that it's going to be under there like you don't know if you're really going to walk away no no with more overhead than what you put in a lot of people do go broke out here so i think like it is it could be like high intensity when you do think somebody's 
you know, taking your excavator or taking your claim post, you know, like you don't know if somebody, you know, got a little bit greedy on their land and pushed over to your land. How much gold was sitting under there that they just mapped? Tie the ribbon on the next tree, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, you know, I, I could imagine that it gets hostile. Yeah, absolutely. You don't know if they hit like the mother load in that little corner that they took that was your of corner, course. you know, like it, it probably could get very hostile. I could imagine. Um, you know, and you, you hear of like old stories of people chasing each other with axes and stuff like that. <laughs> but luckily, I haven't seen that. <laughs> it doesn't happen so much. But one thing I, I kind of noticed over the last few years is that one guy who always times seems to kind of make the money is the guy who does the drilling and the testing because that's a very expensive part of it. But they're guaranteed money because they have to be paid whether they hit gold or not. So you kind of think to yourself, that's not as risky as gold mining, <laughs> but expensive. Yeah. But back in the day, you know who the one that made all the profit here in the gold rush was? It wasn't the miners. It was the guy selling the shovel. Exactly. Yeah. It was the supply store and everything. Exactly. Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That gold is fantastic. But if you can't get to it, then shitty to be you. <laughs> it's like when, you know, they tally up at the end of the season, how much gold they've made. And then, of course, Tony's talking to Minnie about going to auction to buy $2 million dozers and <laughs> stuff. You kind of see that money disappearing very fast. But the one thing that I always think is the oh, funniest yeah. is Tony's uh, trucks, you know, the, the the pickups, the SUVs. I mean, how many has how many of those has he gone through? <laughs> yeah, the Denali's. There's a whole boneyard filled with Denali's. You could go in there and just put pick them apart and make a new one, no? Oh, yeah. Well, that's why he keeps them. I think the most I've seen him go through in one season was four. Four in one season. Yeah. No, he's, he goes through those Denali's like, Nobody's yeah he drives them hard. absolutely this is the place where denali's come to die yeah <laughs> of course of course so ruby tell me this then you know with the last seven seasons you've been there and everything what's kind of been your most memorable moment and i know it's probably meeting michael but besides that <laughs> like have you any moment or season that really stood out for you um Honestly, not in in specific moments. No, I I enjoy I enjoy my growth. Like I I've gotten to learn a lot. Like I I honestly I can contribute. Well, I could contribute my whole career to the Beats family. Um, I love that I have felt in my time that you know the, all the, the equipment that I've gotten to learn. I love that. Uh, so I'm one of the only people outside of the Beats family that has gotten to do their gold cleaning which is really special to me, I think. Like, it's it's nice to be trusted with that responsibility. Um, you know, I love, I honestly do. I love when new people come and come to the site and they're asking me questions. And I'm like, oh, right. Like, I do know this. I have, I've had served my time here. I do know what I'm talking about. Um, so I just like my personal growth. Honestly, I love my personal growth. I love that. Of course, I love that I've met the love of my life here. I love that I've, you know, rekindled my friendship, my childhood friendship with Monica. That's, you know, I'll always hold that to my heart. I've gotten to, in this time, I've gotten to watch her get married. I've gotten, we got to watch her have her child. Like, that's really special to me. I've gotten to see all of that and being part of all of that. Um, so just, yeah, just growth, just growth in, in my career and in my personal life has been, yeah, 
of that. That's really good. And I think I think I'm right in saying this is your first podcast, no? It is. It is my first podcast. Wow. So and and I'm surprised really because you've been a big character for the last while. So <laughs> I'm I'm surprised you haven't been on other ones, but it's definitely been our pleasure to have you on and you know, I, I, we will definitely have you on again in, in, in the future sometime. Yeah, maybe I can rope Michael in. Yeah, we can. That's what I was going to say. We can have the power couple. It'll yeah, be, we'll, we'll be like, who's more <laughs> powerful, Tony and Minnie or Ruby and Michael? <laughs> oh, shit! You're gonna get me fired. <laughs> <laughs> Tony'd be like, I want that bit edited out. You know? <laughs> no, he can laugh at it. Yeah. I mean, it's great. And I, I think from watching the shows and being a fan of the shows, I mean, there's always a great feeling and everyone seems like good people, you know, and there's all different personalities on Gold Rush, whether it be, you know, Dustin or Fred and one show, Todd Hoffman and another, Parker. There's so many great personalities and hard people and but, you know, they're good people behind it all. And I think with Tony Beats crew and with yourself and everything, you have a good operation there. It's, it's a great operation. And it's it's a pleasure to watch it, you know, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I loved all your, your questions and um, it was a pleasure to talk with you. And thank you for being my first podcast. That was, yeah, I really appreciate it. <laughs> you're very welcome and, and you know more people will hear about ruby and and the show because sometimes i i say to people you don't know gold rush and they're like no and i'm like oh wow you have to watch that show oh. <laughs> so i think in some countries it's very big in other country it depends on the on the you know the network and how they put it out and so on but it's a great show and i mean it has so many fans and there's going to be so many fans that will watch this and find out things about ruby that maybe they didn't know you understand yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, 100%. It's great. So, Ruby, I want to say thank you again for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And before we let you go, actually, you know, I know you can't reveal too much about the show. Just let us know you want to film till when, October, or how you're in the middle of the season now? We're in the middle of the season now. Yeah, no, that that's, that's not giving anything away. Our our seasons are standard. It's, it's all weather dependent, right? Mother Nature is our is going to be the one that kicks us out. So yeah, we, um, we started March, we started March 10th this year and we'll go till probably the beginning of October. Okay. Brilliant. And then you get to go to Frischland yeah. or maybe the Netherlands or are you, are you going to stay maybe this winter? You Not said this no. Year. Yeah. Yeah. We're staying this winter. Yeah. I think we're going to go for to Mexico for a month in February, but we're staying winter. Wow. That's brilliant. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I wish you all the best Yeah, and I hope you have a, a lovely warm winter there in the Yukon we yeah. will you know put this out and let people enjoy it so thank you very much for coming on the show it's been a pleasure to talk to you thank you so much it was a pleasure thank you Ruby Mahoney everybody thank you very much Ruby for appearing on our podcast it was a pleasure to have you and it was great to hear another insight from the show and as I said I'm a big fan I watch it constantly and it's great to have a guest like yourself on the show to tell us all about it great to hear your insights you know and being a woman as an excavator driver and the amazing work you do and Monica Beats does on the show we can't forget Minnie Beats because she's an amazing woman too and where would Tony be without her you know so it was great to hear your insights all about your cast members and the people you work with on a daily basis 
So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much. And it was lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. And for you, the listener, we hope you enjoyed the show. We hope Ruby was able to give you some valuable insights if you were a fan of the show. And we hope you continue listening to the magnificent guests we will have coming on in the next few weeks. And until then, all I want to say is my name is Simon Kay. This is the Collective Whisper Podcast. And until the next time, take care of yourself, your friends, your family, and the people you love. Bye-bye.